Morning, Trinity. <laughs> My name is Olivia Vordenberg, and I was born and raised here in Trinity Baptist Church until the age of 12. My parents, Holly and Stephen Vordenberg, were among those who began God Quest at Trinity. I was there in its infancy stages, the classes, classes and engagement, engaging assignments, the last-minute Bible verse memorization on the subway to church so I could get my points in for the auction. And those auctions were some of the best memories I have here as a kid. I remember loving Christmas services, candlelit services, and eating bagels with a lot of margarine every coffee hour, hiding under the tables with my sisters, watching all of the feet, hoarding sugar cubes. I got baptized here a week before we moved to New Hampshire. I grew up here in this very sanctuary. Moving was a big change for all of us. Public school, new job, our neighbors own, owning llamas, um, the huge lack of streetlights in what felt like a completely new country. In high school, I drifted away from my childlike light and happiness. I drifted from my love for Christ. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. My first year of college, I was very far from him. I moved back to New York to pursue my dream of acting. I was here, back home. But I didn't come back here to this sanctuary, to my roots, until the very end of the year. My parents, friends, and Christ in many ways tried to grab me back and free me from the bondage I had found myself in. So I guess what I would tell a congregation that has grown in these 19 years, a congregation of leaders, husbands, wives, children, parents, is to not give up. Don't give up on your kid. My parents never did. They showered me with love and support at my darkest, worst moments. And just when we were thought we were sur surrendering to this battle, letting go, Jesus found me. He reached down and showed me his unfailing love. And ever since I have refound my walk with him, I am filled again with childlike wonder abounding love and strength and joy that are not my own. Jesus found me, and I am free. And now a reading from his word. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 3, 14 through 17. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wicked, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring judgment, both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. The word of the Lord. Olivia, thank you so much. Um, you know, I didn't get a chance to, to talk with Olivia about her testimony before I was putting this sermon together, but as God would have it, it fits perfectly. And uh, I'm just thrilled that the Vordenbergs are here. I love the Vordenbergs. And uh, I'm thrilled that everybody's here, <laughs> but especially the Vordenbergs. <laughs> um, my name is James, and I'm one of the pastors here, and, uh, you know, for the, well, actually, starting last week, uh, Keith kicked off a three-week uh, series entitled Gratitude Leads to Generosity, 
And uh, if you were here last week, you remember that he, he challenged us to think about our treasure, you know, the, the funds, the, the, the resources that we've been given in light of all that we have uh, to be grateful for and to, to, to contemplate that for a little bit. And this week, uh, we're going to be looking at how gratitude impacts how we use our time, how we look at our time, uh, how we steward our time. And we know that time is both a gift and an incredible resource. And we know from the, the passage that Olivia read just a, a moment ago that it can be used for both good or for evil. And because we have free will, which is also an incredible gift that God has given us, uh, we can pretty much use our time at our discretion. We can use it any way that we like. But here's the rub. We know that we only have so much time. Time is finite. Uh, We have it for a while, and then it's gone. Now, I have a question for you. How many of you enjoy doing math? Yeah? Six of you? Um, I, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with that. I have never been crazy about doing math, uh, but I want to start this message out today by asking you to do a little bit of math with me. So in your bulletin today, you'll see there's an orange card in there. Pull it out. It's just a blank orange card. And then on the back of the pew in front of you, you'll see uh, some pencils. And if you want, you can use your smartphone to do this too, if you have a smartphone. What I'd like you to do is write on the orange card your age. You don't have to show this to anybody. You can just, you can hide it. You don't have to show it to anybody. And then multiply your age by 365. Okay? Okay, do you have that? After you have that, uh, subtract that number from 27,375. 27,375. Now, what that number is, is the average lifespan of a person in days, more or less. Okay? Okay? So once you have that number, um, you know exactly how many days you have left on this earth (laughs) based on life expectancy, okay? Now, if you want to know how many years you have left, you can divide that number by 365, and that'll give you the number of years you have left based on life expectancy. Now, here's the thing. Most of us in this room are about at the halfway point, or maybe a little beyond. Some of you you have a little more time to, to work some things out, and some of you in here are on borrowed time. (laughs) But here's the thing. If we're not intentional about how we use our time, uh, we're going to waste a lot of it. We're going to waste a lot of it. Now, imagine this. Imagine that you found out that someone set up a bank account for you. Okay? You found out someone set up a bank account for you. It's in your name. And every morning, they credit that account with $86,400 every morning. Okay, pretty sweet, huh? I bet some of you could think of a few things you could do with that $86,400. But here's the thing. 
about the 86,400. Anything that you don't use, any part of that 86,400 that you don't use by the end of the day is deducted from your account. Okay, so at the end of the day, it's at zero. So what do you have to do, or what would you want to do before the end of the day? You'd want to use as much of that 86,400 as you possibly could, right? As much as you could. Now, I would like to suggest that we have an account just like that. We have an account that God has given us, and it's called time. It's called time. Every morning, we are credited with 86,400 seconds. 86,400 seconds. And every night, when we go to bed, we have to write off whatever amount of time that we wasted or that we didn't use. It's gone. We don't get any rollover minutes. We don't get any overdrafts. It's gone. Now, almost everyone that I talk with tells me that they would like to leave a long-lasting legacy for good. They really want to leave a legacy for good. Everyone that I've talked with has told me that they would like to do that. But here's the thing. You're not going to be able to do that without a strategy. You won't be able to do it without a strategy. We need to start living each day as if it were our last. And it would probably be a good thing to do that because one day we're going to be right. One day we're going to be right. Now, if we fail to leave the legacy that we want to, and by the way, we're going to leave a legacy of some kind. We all leave a legacy of some kind. But if we fail to leave the legacy that we wanted to leave, it won't be because of a lack of resources. It won't be because of a lack of opportunity. It will be because we did not make the most use of our time, and we were not generous with the time that we had. That's what's going to kill our legacy. Okay? And as I was thinking about this, I came across this poem that I'd like to read to you real quickly. Each morning, he'd stack up the letters he'd write tomorrow. And think of the friends that he'd fill with delight tomorrow. It was too bad indeed he was too busy today and hadn't a minute to stop on his way. More time I'll give to others, he'd say, tomorrow. But the fact that he died and faded away from view and all that was left when the living was through was a mountain of things he intended to do tomorrow. So let me ask you this. Are you intentional about the time that you use? Are there conversations that you know that you need to have? Are there things that you know God has laid on your heart, but you keep putting them off? You keep saying, tomorrow. Right now, you know, things are just too busy. You know, I, I really can't get into that right now. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things that he's planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. 
What that means to me is that he has equipped us beautifully. And it seems, according to this passage, that he's done that because he has a purpose for our lives. He's envisioned certain things that we can do, that only we can do. We have the resources, we have the gifts, we have the time. But it's up to us. Remember that free will thing? Are we going to be generous with our time? If we want to be generous with our time, it starts with gratitude. It begins with gratitude. But that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? Being, grat- being grateful. We're not, we're not really hardwired for being grateful. I know I'm not. It's much easier for me to dwell on the things that I don't have than to, to sit back and ponder all the things that I'm grateful for. But developing a heart of gratitude is like any life skill that's worth having. It requires practice. And there's three stages to practicing it. Three stages. Recognizing what we're grateful for, first of all. Acknowledging it. And then appreciating it. Recognizing what we're grateful for, or maybe all the things that we're grateful for. Acknowledging them and then appreciating them. The more we practice being grateful, the more it becomes second nature to us. It's just like anything that we practice. And the benefits are life-altering. When we're grateful, two things happen. Two things happen. We become more joyful. When we're grateful, joy just starts to well up inside of us. And that impacts the way we see the world. And when we're filled with joy, we're not partially filled. We're filled to overflowing. And when we overflow with joy, it's not mere exuberance. It leads to a second consequence. And guess what that is? Generosity. Have you ever noticed that when you're really joyful, you just want to share things? You don't mind paying for the bill. You don't mind sharing your time. You're just, you're just happy that you're where you are with the people you're with, experiencing the thing that you're experiencing right then and there. That's what joy does. That comes from gratitude. Now, other than practicing gratitude, what else can we do that will help us to become more generous with our time? I'd like to suggest five principles, and I'm sure there are more, but I'd like to suggest five that will help us to become more generous with our time. First of all, set priorities. Set priorities. In Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What is this saying? Well, it's talking about prioritizing, isn't it? Putting the most important things first. And we cannot be generous with our time if we don't prioritize. Now, many of you have heard the illustration of the physics teacher that you know, was meeting with his students and, and he had these wide mouth mason jars. And on the table in front of him, he had these five big rocks. 
and some sand and a pitcher of water. And he said, I would like for you, class, to put all the contents on this table, the rocks, the sand, the marbles, that was marbles as well. I want you to put it all into this mason jar in 15 seconds. And he pulled out a stop, stopwatch, clicked it, and said, go. Well, the students hurried up. They, they immediately poured the sand in. They poured the marbles in. And they started putting the rocks in. And then the mason jar was completely filled. They couldn't get all the rocks in, and the time was up. And the, the students started complaining about it. They were saying, it's impossible. It's completely full. There's, this, isn't, this jar is not big enough for this. And he said, well, hold on. Let's pour the contents out again and try this again. I'd like to show you something. So the professor took the mason jar and he immediately put the rocks in first, the big rocks. After the big rocks, he poured the marbles in. And then he took the sand and he slowly poured the sand around the marbles and it settled in between the rocks and the marbles. And he poured the water in. And within 15 seconds, he had all of the contents in the wide mouth mason jar. Now, what was he illustrating? He was saying it all fits, but it comes down to prioritizing. How we order our lives makes a huge difference in fitting things in and making things happen. If we want to leave a long and lasting legacy for good, we need to put the big rocks in first. Have you ever thought about what that looks like when you do your calendaring? What are the big rocks? The most important things. Isn't it easy for the big things to get pushed out if we default to the tyranny of the urgent? I know it is for me. Now, next is building relationships. Build relationships. In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, Jesus was asked the following question. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment and the most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now, Jesus is reminding us that there are two relationships that are absolutely vital. Two relationships. Our relationship with our Heavenly Father, but also our relationship with people. Now, why are these two things so vital? Why would they be the number one and the number two command? Why are relationships so important? I think it's because everything else is going to be lost. Everything else is fleeting. The money that we've accumulated, our careers, our possessions, the toys, all the stuff is going to be gone. But the thing that will remain for eternity is the relationship that we have with God and the relationships that we have with people because we all live for eternity. We all have eternal life. In fact, where we spend eternity 
is based not only on our relationship with God, but how we develop relationships with others. In 1 John 4.20, it says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have seen. What is he saying here? He's saying you can't just have a personal relationship with God apart from community, apart from loving the people that are around you. You can't have a disdain for people and then say that you love God. Because the two go hand in hand. The next principle, make a plan or take time to plan. Jesus talked about planning in Luke 14, 28 through 30 when he said, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Rather, he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. A wise person once said, We need to hope for the best, but we need to plan for the worst. Hope for the best, but plan for the worst. If we want to use our time wisely, we need to plan. Okay? The next principle is take time to organize. Take time to organize. Now, my wife would be the first to tell you that I am not the most organized person in the world. I can't tell you how many hours I have wasted looking for things that I've misplaced. Um, at the top of the list would be my keys my sunglasses, my wallet, my phone, and files on my computer, okay? I have lost hundreds of hours looking for those things, okay? Uh, now, my guess is that most of us could benefit from being a little bit more organized. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. How many of you have torn your place apart looking for something? Yeah, <laughs> yes. I, 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 every time I even think about that, I feel the anxiety level going up. You know, ripping cushions off the couches and things like that, you know. Not long ago, I was getting ready to leave the house, and I couldn't find my wallet. And I had a really important meeting that I needed to get to, and I knew that if I didn't leave the house within five minutes, there was no way I was going to make that meeting in time. So I checked my coat pocket, and I checked my pants pocket, and they weren't there. I checked my backpack, wasn't there. I checked the table next to the bed, the island in the kitchen, the ledge on the bathtub. I looked on top of the dresser, all the places that I usually leave my wallet, and to no avail. I looked under the cushions on the couch, I looked under all the chairs, I looked under the furniture, I couldn't find it, and, I, and my anxiety level was, was, was really going up and up. I thought of everything that I had done the night before, and did your parents ever tell you when you were a kid you know, to retrace your steps, you know, when you lose something, you, you go to your parents, I can't find, did you retrace your steps? It's the most annoying thing at, in, the, in the moment. <laughs> 
course I retraced. So, but I was thinking about that, and I started retracing my steps from the night before, and, and I found my wallet. It, it was on top of the refrigerator. <laughs> and, and I couldn't recall putting it on top of the refrigerator, and I can't imagine thinking ever that that would be a good place, you know, to put my wallet. And so I did the, the same thing that any man would do, any husband. I, I asked my wife to stop hiding my things in mysterious places. <laughs> and it, you're laughing because you've probably been there, right? Either you've been blamed for hiding something, or you have accused someone of hiding something that you misplaced. Uh, it's bad enough that we're unorganized, right? And even worse, that we can't admit it. <laughs> But we can all get more organized. We can all get more organized. And I think that if we did, well, imagine all the time that we would save if we just took some time to be strategic about getting more organized. All the stress that would be alleviated. And the fifth principle is creating more margin in your life. Creating more margin. Folks, this is a key principle. And the reason I say this is because no matter how we set our priorities, things are going to come up from time to time that are beyond our control. The unexpected. Okay? As we plan, we need to remember that ultimately God is in control. God is in control. And so often we cram our schedules so full of activities and busyness that our emotional and physical and spiritual well-being is, well, it suffers. Our health suffers. And being that most of us live here in New York, and that's just the pace, it's part of the culture, um, we've probably gotten used to that frenetic pace. And I don't know about you, but have you ever noticed that sometimes after you've been running hard for a long time and then you find yourself with a day or two where you just you don't have any, anything that's on your calendar and you have this free time and you just don't know what to do with yourself? Have you ever experienced that? I mean, there, when we go on vacation, the first few days are just kind of lost. I, mean, I, I pace around. I mean, I... I want to look at my email. I mean, I just, I just feel like I have to be doing something, right? It's hard to, it's hard to calm down. If, if that's you, you need more margin in your life. You need more margin in your life. But here's the thing. If we want more margin in our life, we have to take responsibility for creating it. Do you know that no one is ever going to create margin in your life for you? They never will. I mean, we have to take responsibility for creating margin in our life. Think about how, how you spend your time right now, your daily routine. Is there anything that can be removed that would create some margin? Because here's why it's so important. If we don't have margin in our lives, we're going to miss divine appointments. We're going to miss divine appointments that God has set up for us to experience. That he's prepared for us, specifically for us. 
Now, I'm not sure about you, but I don't want to miss divine appointments. And I know that I miss a lot of them. Um, how many of you know Fred Atkins? Fred, you know Fred Atkins. <laughs> Fred Atkins is right there. Um, as I was thinking about this message, my, my thoughts kept going back to Fred. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, Fred is one of our elders here at Trinity. He's also one of my best friends. Um, he's poured a lot into my life over the years. And, and Fred has been gifted with amazing gifts. A lot of amazing gifts. And encouragement is one of them. He, he is one of the most encouraging people I know. And another thing that Fred can do is he can relate to anybody. It doesn't matter if you're old or young. It doesn't matter where you're from. Fred can relate to you. He just has that gift. He's the kind of guy that can pick up a conversation with anybody, anywhere, anytime. And if you've ever traveled with him or gone anywhere with him, you'll know that he often does. Okay? When Fred is talking with you, you get the sense that he really cares about you. It's as if you're the only person in the room. Now, one of the reasons that Fred is able to do all these things is that he has purposefully created a lot of margin in his life. Fred is never in a hurry. If you know Fred, you know he's never in a hurry. He purposefully makes time for the unexpected. It's so fun to travel with Fred. Because you could end up anywhere. <laughs> Let's go there. Okay. I mean, it's just... And you, if, if you have to get somewhere, you have to take responsibility for watching the clock. Because Fred will never watch the clock. You know, and it... it, it, it let me just tell you another thing about Fred real quickly. Uh, my office is, is right over here. It's above the main office. And... And I leave my door open. And because I leave my door open, I, I can hear almost all the conversations that are happening at the front desk. And that helps me kind of keep up on things. <laughs> and uh, sometimes I, I'm working on something and, and I'm feeling the pressure of having to get something done. And I hear Fred walk into the office. And uh, <laughs> Fred frequently does this. He comes in and he says to Marlene, our, our, our office manager, um, is Keith in? And Marlene will say, well, Keith's in a meeting right now. Oh. Is Beth in? Uh, Beth's uh, doing this or that. Oh. Is Roy in? And, and I know he's going down the list. Okay. Is James in? Yes, James is in. So my computer, okay. So then Fred comes, Fred comes up the stairs and he takes his bag and he throws it down and he lays down on the couch. <laughs> He's like, James, how are things going? You know, great, Fred. <laughs> and you know, you still have your hands on the keyboard and you hold them there for a while, kind of thinking, will he go away? <laughs> He's not going to go away. And then you end up having these amazing conversations with Fred that are life-giving. And after he leaves, you realize, the thing that I was working on seemed important. 
but it pales in comparison to the blessing that I just received from having made a few moments just to spend time with Fred. You know what's interesting about that? Jesus was kind of like that. Jesus always had margin in his life. We look through the scriptures and we see Jesus walking all over the place. And I, I can't find anywhere where it says Jesus ran, you know, to his next appointment. <laughs> you know, that, that he, he was like, oh, oh my gosh, we're late. You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> never, you know, he's just kind of always, it's all good. You know, I know he's dead, but we'll work that out. <laughs> what if we were like that? I mean, what if we what if we lived our lives more like that? I mean, if we just had a little more peace and could just roll with things, if we had time for people, what would New York be like? Oh my gosh, New York would be. No one would come here anymore. It just, it, it wouldn't, it'd be like the Midwest. Why would we come here? <laughs> but in our culture, look, in our culture, we, we equate legacy with accomplishing great things. We equate legacy with receiving awards and making headlines. And to, to make those things happen, we got to go, go, go. You got to make things happen. You don't have time to, 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 to waste. Okay? Um, but I'd like to suggest that legacies aren't based on those things, not the good ones. I, I'd like for us to take a, a quiz. We did some math earlier, now we're going to do some, a, a qu- two quizzes. Okay, the first part of the quiz is this, and this has to do with legacy. I'd like for you to try and name. The five wealthiest people in the world. Okay? Now, name the last five Heisman Trophy winners. Okay? You got that? Name the five winners of the last Miss America uh, pageants or contests. Name ten people who have won the Nobel Peace Prize. Name a half dozen Academy Award winners for for the best actor or, or actress. Name the last decade's worth of World Series winners. Okay? Pretty easy, huh? Now, the point is that, that none of us remember the headlines from yesterday. When these things happened, they were big deals. They were big events. They were not second-rate achievements. These people were the best in their field. They poured themselves into whatever it is that they, they accomplished. But applause dies. Awards tarnish. Achievements are forgotten. And accolades and certificates are buried with their owners. Now I'd like to take a second quiz. Maybe this one will be easier. List a few teachers who aided you in your journey through school. Name three friends who have helped you through a difficult time. Name three people who have taught you something worthwhile. Think of a few people who have made you feel appreciated and special. 
Think of three people you enjoy spending time with the most. And name a half dozen heroes whose stories have inspired you. Okay. My guess is that this quiz is a lot easier for you. And I would suggest that these are the legacy makers. People that fall into this category. The people who make a difference in your life are the ones not with the most credentials or the most money or the most awards, but the ones who care. The ones who are generous with their time. Now think about the people in your life that you're grateful for. A childhood playmate, a cherished teacher, an inspiring coach, a thoughtful neighbor, maybe your college roommate, a physician who delivered your baby, a caring mentor, a friend or family member who gave you support in a time of need. Gratitude begets generosity. And we all have so much to be thankful for if we practice gratitude. So with the time that we have been given, the time that's left, how might we become the answer to someone's prayer? Think of the impact that you would have if you became more generous with your time, how that would impact your legacy. And it doesn't really take a whole lot of time to leave an impact, if you think about it. Let me give you an example. What if for the next five years, you wrote one handwritten note per week to somebody that you cared about? One note per week for the next five years. How long, would it, how long would it take you to write that note? Five minutes? Ten minutes? Maybe? At the end of five years, you would have written 260 letters to people that you cared about. Now think about the times that you have received handwritten letters from people that care about you and what that means to you, especially in, our, in this day and age where everything's electronic. To me, that sounds like the beginning of a lasting legacy. A lasting legacy for good. And that's just one of many things that we could do. Each of us can look back on people whose simple acts of caring changed our lives. Not just by teaching us, but by taking the time to be with us. To believe in us. We need to decide today that going forward... We're going to be more generous with our time. That we're going to invest in people in ways that we've never invested before. When we become intentional about practicing gratitude and more generous with our time, we will be well on our way to leaving a long and lasting legacy for good. Amen? Amen.